The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. We call this the fall of man. Um, but really, isn't it more like the birth of the human condition? We live in a fallen world. It's broken, there's all these problems. Why is that? Because it's full of sinful human beings, broken people. It's not that we really want to do evil. We, we actually want to be good. We just, we just can't help ourselves. We're just broken inside. It's part of our nature. It's who we are. Um, you know what I mean. Like, for example, you're sitting down at the Thanksgiving dinner, and they bring out the turkey and the ham and the stuffing and the dressing, because that's different from stuffing somehow, and mashed potatoes and green beans and green bean casserole and three or four other side dishes and rolls and cornbread and probably salad too, and it's all so good and you eat a little bit of everything and it's so good that you get seconds on everything. And you're just at this point where you've just filled up with food, you can't eat anymore, and then they bring the desserts out. Pumpkin pie, pecan pie, banana pudding... You just, you have to eat some. You have to, even though you're stuffed, you just, I'm only human, right? Or what about this? You're late getting out of the house, things didn't go right this morning, and I'm late for work, and why did I get on 635? And I slammed on his brakes in front of me, and I get over just in time, and somebody cuts me off, and I just want to go over there and grab that guy and go, don't you know how to use a turn signal? I mean, it just makes you so infuriated. The anger just comes over you. You can't help yourself. After all, you're only human. What about this one? I know I I really do want to be a better Christian. And I know I should spend more time praying and reading the scriptures and meditating, but I just don't have the time to do it. I mean, can I do it? I... Early in the morning, I could barely get up in time to get out of the house for work. I'm so tired. And then at the end of the day, I get home and my brain is just shot. The only thing I really want to do is just sit down in front of the TV, turn my mind off and let it wash over me. I just, I can't be expected to do any more than that, right? After all, I'm, I'm only human. And it is. It's, this is our condition. We're only human. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve ate that fruit. They sinned. How, I mean... How could they be expected to not want to go after that? And you see it repeated over and over and over again, even through the scriptures. Right? Even the good guys, you see their flaws. Abraham, Mr. Faith, Mr. 
You want me to leave everything I have and go out in the wilderness? You bet. Mystery. You want me to like go sacrifice my son? Sure, I can do all of that. This is the guy that when he ran into a king and he saw that the king was checking out his wife, he was like, it's not my wife, it's my sister. Go ahead and have her. Just, you know, don't hurt me. Really? <laughs> or, you know, keep, keep going. And this is the one that everyone likes to give as an example. You've got David, the man after God's own heart. He wrote all of the Psalms. And you can see that he really does get God and, and really can bring you into a better spiritual understanding of that relationship. This is the guy that conspired to have somebody killed to cover up the fact that he was sleeping with his wife. We're only human. And you see page after page after page of people that really do want to be good. They really do want to do the good thing. They just are completely incapable of it. And so we have this record of failure after failure and on and on and on. And Wait a minute. And you get this. Matthew chapter 4. And Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That has to be the greatest understatement in all of Scripture. (laughs) The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, People do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand up on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. All this I will give you. Just bow down and worship. And Jesus said, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and his angels came and attended him. We found it. This is the case of a man that was tempted by the devil resisted and didn't sin. A man tempted by the devil and didn't sin. Maybe we don't have to. And you're, I know you're, you're already thinking. You're thinking, wait a minute, Ted, that's Jesus. That doesn't count. Jesus was, he had God, you know. He wasn't really, really human. I mean, I know we're taught that he was, he was both fully human and fully God, but I don't really understand what that means. And so that can't, you know, stand... At the very least, I mean, he had to have some, some sort of like special kind of God power in him that kept him from sinning. Fair enough. I, I, think that's, I think that's probably true, because you keep reading through the Gospels, and you actually see this incredible demonstration of power on his part. He casts out demons. He heals sick people. He raises the dead. And then, at the end of the Gospel, we have his greatest achievement, his crowning achievement... The thing that he is most known for, the reason that we are all gathered here. Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins. This is a big concept that theologians have to come up with a very big word for it, too. Two words, substitutionary atonement. And um, his, you know, cousin, cousin John the Baptist here actually said it this way. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So the idea, right, is that in ancient Judaism, you would take the lamb 
and you, the priest would put all the sins of the people on it, and they would sacrifice the lamb, the lamb would die, and that would, that would pay the penalty for all the people's sins for that year. And so you have Jesus acting as the lamb of God. He dies, and our sins are wiped away. And it's this very incredible thing, and it's a wonderful thing. Although it makes me wonder, if this was the most important thing that he did, the most significant thing, why is it that we meet on Sunday instead of on Friday? Because on Good Friday, that was the day that Jesus died. That was the day that he was crucified, that he, that he bled out and, and died and, and screamed out, it is finished. But we know Sunday, Sunday was the resurrection. Okay? So, if when he died... He paid the penalty for our sins so that we could be forgiven. What happened, what was so magnificent about the resurrection? What does that really mean? Well, if you think about it a little bit, I think it's kind of obvious. He defeated death. He, he prevented death from maintaining its victory over him. He couldn't, he, couldn't, he couldn't stay dead. He dethroned it. And in coming back to when God raised him back to life and gave him this new physical body, he became the new prototype for what it means to be human. Human 2.0. Um, Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 15. But in fact, the Messiah has been raised from the dead as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since it was through a human that death arrived, it's through a human that the resurrection from the dead has arrived. All die in Adam, you see, and all will be made alive in the Messiah. Each, however, in proper order. The Messiah rises as the first fruits, and then those who belong to the Messiah will rise at the time of his royal arrival. That's wonderful. That's this prototype of this new existence, but that kind of sounds like it's still waiting for us in the age to come. What does this mean for us right now? Good question, Ted. Thank you, Ted. <laughs> You've heard of the idea, the concept of being born again, right? It's a phrase that we actually get from Jesus. Jesus said in John 3, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. Right? Those of us who have been baptized have reenacted Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection in water. And when we rise out of the water, we say that we have been born again. We say that we are given a new existence. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. In a, in a different way of looking at this, we say when we're baptized, what happens? We are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? That's what Peter said in Acts. You get the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the Spirit of God. This is the same Spirit that was in Jesus. This is the same Spirit that gave him the power to do all of those wonderful things that he did all the way through, including his crowning achievement. Again, I'll, I'll let Paul explain it. Um, he put more thought into it. Romans 8, he's, in Romans 8, verse 10, he says, If Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. In other words, the same Spirit 
that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. The thing that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. It means that living in you right now is resurrection power. This is so much more than just the forgiveness of sins. We are restored to our original purpose. See, Jesus has given us new life, born again, a new existence. We are able to now go back and take over the original purpose that we were, that we were called to. Um, Paul goes back, and in Romans chapter 5, which is the passage that I'm supposed to be talking about, but haven't yet quoted from, he makes this comparison between Adam and Jesus, right? And on the one hand, Adam sinned and brought sin and death into the world, and Jesus did not sin. Jesus acted in obedience all the way to death and was resurrected. And Paul says that the sin of one man brought death for everybody. And he said that the gift that comes from the obedience of the other brings life for everybody. And that the gift is actually more valuable than the sin because the sin resulted, the one sin resulted in the negative judgment. But the one gift came after so many more sins and has provided how much more life to all of us. He says it very specifically, chapter 5, verse 17. For if, by the sin of the one, death reigned through that one, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of covenant membership, being in the right, reign in life through the one man, Jesus the Messiah? <clears throat> now, I have to admit, when, when I, I read Romans, I've, I've read this through several times, and even in preparation for this initially, I missed something in my reading of it. Like, when you come to Romans, you come, like, prepared. This is Paul's big explanation of, of his theology and of how God works. And, and we have, you know, he's, he's setting up justification and sanctification and righteousness of God and righteousness and faith and, and all of these, these big concepts. And chapter 5 is really kind of a bridge between the, the state of the world that he set up in the first several chapters and the bridge that he's going to build up in, in 6 through 8 and... Anyway, in doing all that, I missed this little key thing. Andy, that's one of the scriptures that I have. You have it up there. Awesome. Look at this. For if by the trespass of the one, death reigned through that one, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of covenant membership of being in the right reign in life through the one man, Jesus the Messiah? N.T. Wright who wrote a really large book on the resurrection of the Son of God, says it this way. The tragedy of Adam is not just that he introduced sin and hence death into the world, but that humans were made to be the creator's wise agents over creation. And if they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, this purpose goes unfulfilled. The result of God's grace in the gospel is that those who receive the gift will themselves reign in life as kings. This is what human beings were made for. We're supposed to be kings. We always were. But we've just been so inept at it, so incapable of it, because we're only human, 
that we that we seceded our role, we ceded our role to death and let death reign over this creation that God made. Let's go back to the creation story. So Genesis 1.26 says, God said, let us make human beings in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Or the next one, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. We are supposed to be God's representatives, his image bearers, representative of the creator in this world. He made it. We're supposed to take care of it. And we're supposed to continue the act of creation. And in some ways, we've done that. You can look at some of the great art and literature and things that we've built and, and communities that we have, and you can see positive creation. But it's a broken, fallen world filled with broken, fallen people. Adam just screwed it up at the very beginning and left us this legacy of, I'm only human. And then Jesus came along and gives us a second chance. Not just by offering the clean slate. Not just by, you know, expunging the record and, you know, we're going to pretend like you didn't really sin. But by giving us a new existence. Rebirth. When you're born again, you get new parents. You get new ancestors. A royal lineage. You get new DNA. 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. Those who are born of God will not continue to sin because... God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Our very existence, our DNA has been changed. We are not only human. We're spiritual. We are children of God. And it's not a metaphor. It's not like, it's like you're a child. No, God created us in his image. We are meant to be more than just powerless humans. Great, okay. So, if this is true, if we have this power, this new existence, why doesn't it feel like it? Why do we feel so powerless? I thought of a couple of reasons. One is that for our entire lives... The serpent, the craftiest of all creatures, has been whispering lies in our ear. You're only human. You can't really be expected to do this. You're broken. You're, you just, you're not going to be able to amount to much. You mean well, but you just you can't help yourself. You're, you're expecting too much of yourself. You're only human. And it's, we've heard it so many times over and over and over again... Like it just, it just seems like it's true. We cling to that image. We make that part of who we are. It's even worked its way into our theology, right? You're only human. It's a good thing that Jesus died to forgive your sins because you're going to sin a lot. And you're going to need that to be wiped away a lot. That's a lie. It's hard to, like, when I wrote that in my notes, it's like, am I really going to say it like that? Because it feels, but because it's so familiar, but it's, we're not only human. We are not destined to live like this. It's a lie that we've been told our whole lives. And we need to recognize it as that. Secondly, 
I think that it's hard to feel it. It's hard to believe it because we haven't fully obeyed. So let me explain this. When, when one, of those, one of those instances where people were questioning Jesus' authority, you know, who says you can say what you're saying, he said something really curious. It's in John 7, 17. I think that's a slide. He said, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. So in other words, if you want to know whether or not this is right, you need to do it first, and then, and then you'll know. Which is not really how we like to do things. It's not how we think about anything. I would much rather have it explained out, this is, what, this is, this is the truth, this is how it is, and then I can go, okay, I agree with that, I'll do it then. But that's not how it works. Faith and obedience are so intertwined that you can't grow one without the other. In other words, if you want to increase your faith, if you want to get closer to God, you've got to first step out and obey. And then when you do that, that grows your faith a little bit more, which makes it just a little bit easier to obey just a little bit more, which grows your faith some more, and then you can obey some more. And the next thing you know... You're standing in the middle of the lake, walking on the water. But it's got to start with that first step of obedience. Okay. So what does this look like for us? What does this really mean? Well, maybe this may, maybe you're being called to begin this journey. Maybe you haven't been baptized and, and been able to share in the death the burial, the resurrection, to be born again into this new life and this new existence, to have the power of the resurrection to live in you. Maybe that's your next step. A lot of us have been. So the question that I have now is, what is God calling you to do that you're not doing? You know, that thing that's just been in the back of your head for some time that you're just, like, ignoring or you're going to get to someday or, or you don't know why you're thinking about it. It's not really there. What's that? Do you need to confess something to somebody? Maybe you need to pray for somebody. Maybe you need to go talk to somebody or call somebody up on the phone. What is it that God has put on your heart that you haven't done? We'd like to have it all spelled out. We'd like to see the big plan, the big picture in the roadmap. What am I supposed to do with my life? What is God doing in my life? That's not how he works. He gives you this one little piece at a time. And unless you go and you do it, you're not going to get to the next step. You're not going to grow in him and you're not going to see where to go next. You're not going to realize the power that he's given you. And it can be scary. Maybe something that you've been putting off doing that you don't want to do. Maybe just something that doesn't seem significant. I just want to encourage you to not be afraid and to not worry too much about it and to remember you have resurrection power living in you. You are both called and equipped to do it, whatever it is. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for sending your son to show us how to do it. That he didn't sin. He obeyed all the way to death and then you raised him from the dead and that changed everything. Thank you, God, for our new life, our new existence, our new DNA. Thank you for your spirit that lives within us. 
Father, help us to realize your presence in our lives. God, remind us when we hear something that's a lie. Help us, focus us on the truth to blot out the lie. God, that thing that you're calling us to do, bring it back to the forefront of our hearts. Give us the courage and the power to do it. We know that, we know that you've given it to us. God, increase our faith and hold our hands as we go forward in just a small step of obedience. We love you and we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.